everyone, this is Wendy, just letting you know that the topic of today's podcast is uh, not a happy one. It's to do with um, a murder-suicide that occurred in Bundaberg some years ago. Um, So we just wanted to let you know that in case that was something that you didn't want to continue listening to. Um, We don't go into any great details about that actual event. The focus is on the history of the lives of the people um, that we're talking about. Okay, Angela, we're back again. I know. Well, my name's Wendy. I'm Angela. (laughs) Here we are, um, back for a second instalment about 1928 in Bundaberg. Can you remind us where and what we've been talking about last episode? Yes, we left off with the story of Dr Ewing George Thompson and the very sad deaths of 12 children after the their diphtheria vaccinations. Now, what we're going to talk about today, amazingly, mm. happened four days after, and it was another tragic event mm. in Bundaberg, which was widely reported mm. in Australia, and you're going to tell us about it, Wendy. I am. So uh, what we're talking about is... Uh, one of our mayors of Bundaberg, Lewis Holden Maynard, and he was the mayor in 1912. Um, He was retired by 1928. And on the 4th of February 1928, he had been out in the morning into town and there's newspaper reports of the time saying that he chatted to a few people and he'd been about his business. Um, and then he returned home to his house in George Street where he lived with his wife um, and seemingly out of the blue um, shot her and she died and then turned the gun on himself and he also um, died as well. And the second part of that event was actually witnessed by a caller at the front door. So in between Lewis um, uh murdering his wife there was a knock on the door and a man named James Lomax was there and Lewis actually said to him and this has been reported in the papers um he said I've just shot my wife I'm going to shoot myself watch so the unfortunate James Lomax was eyewitness on the spot to this terrible terrible event and that was reported in all the newspaper reports around the country. We know a tiny bit about James Lomax. He was a resident resident of Bundaberg and he was a retired um, train engineer, train mm-hmm. driver, and he lived in Cran Street, East Bundaberg. But Lewis and his wife are the ones that we're really interested in. And what was her name? Her name was Alice Maynard at that time and she was actually Lewis's second wife. Did she have a middle name? She did have a middle name and people who are listening, this is going to be very important detail. Mm, Pay attention. Her middle name was Maud. So she was Alice Maud Maynard. So we probably leave that event there. Yes. And we want to know more about him because it was strange to me that this event in Bundaberg's history is not more well known. Nobody seems community. to know about it. Everybody I mentioned it to, they were like, what are you talking about? Mm. And it seems like it's quite significant. A shocking event yeah. 
in involving a former mayor of Bundaberg, yes. one of the founding fathers of the city, but nobody mm. remembers it. Yeah, tell or us talks about it. What mm. his background was, Wendy? Well, we know that he was in Australia from um, I would think the late eighteen hundreds because there's records of him living on um, a property just north of Bundaberg uh, at a place called Duingal. That's D-U-I-N-G-A-L, which is near Wallaville. What was he doing there? Well, in um, about 1893, he was listed as a tobacco farmer and then the consecutive years his um, occupation was just listed as a farmer. We do know that in 1895, Lewis Holden must have been running some cattle because he won a prize at the Bundaberg Agricultural Show for his cattle. Uh, And we also know that he married his first wife in 1885 um, and her name was Muriel Annette Bloxham. From? Muriel was actually born in Australia in 1866 and she was from Bathurst in Mm. New South Wales. She'd moved a long way. She had and when I'm not quite sure, I haven't got a lot more information about her yet, but she obviously met him somewhere and ended up living just north of Bundaberg and then with him in Bundaberg when he moved into town into George Street. They had a big family. They did have a big family. So they had eight children, um, six of whom survived into adulthood, two of whom died in infancy. Would you like to tell us the names? I would because they are excellent names. They are. And that some of them are a little bit more significant than others. So once again, pay attention. Pay attention, everybody. Let me just find them. I've written them out here somewhere. He, they had Mary Ivy Rose in 1886. Very cool. Yes. They had Joseph Bernard Duncan. Maynard in 1888. Then they had, oh, I've missed somebody. No, I haven't. Then they had um, William Kenyon in 1890, and he actually um, died in that same year. Then they had William Biles in 1891. He only survived until about the age of three. Now, that's a significant name, Biles. It is. And that could be the subject of our next podcast. Well, you'll have to watch out for some more information Mm. about the name Biles. And Biles is actually a a strong family name Mm -hmm. on um, the Maynard side of the family when you go back. Uh, Then they had the beautifully named... Leonora Muriel, mm-hmm. uh, and then there was Emmeline Sarah, or sometimes known as Sarah Emmeline. Maybe she preferred Sarah. And they had Alice Maud in 1897, mm-hmm. so that was their daughter. And then finally in 1903 they had Lewis Harold. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so all of them except for the two Williams, um, grew up and moved to different places in Australia. Um, Alice Maud, so their second youngest and their youngest daughter, actually became a nurse and worked at the Bundaberg General Hospital initially. Mm. Uh, they obviously had a strong tradition of naming people after others. Yes, and a lot of those names, so Kenyon, Biles, Lewis, Joseph um, and Muriel, Muriel all were family names that go back mm. a number of generations. So um, they were keen on tradition. 
Okay, so six that. surviving children. Six surviving including children. Alice Maud. Including Alice Maud. That's correct. Right. Do you want to tell us about Lewis Maynard's early life in the United Kingdom? Yes. So he was um, born and grew up in Bradford mm -hmm. in Yorkshire in the UK. He would and have so, a good accent. I reckon mm. the Yorkshire accent's an excellent accent. Uh, so he was born in 1860 and, as we know, this was the height of the Industrial Revolution and manufacturing and factory life was a big part, especially mm. in the north of England, and that's actually reflected in his background because his father, William Maynard, was um, what's referred to as a stuff merchant Hmm. Um, so stuff at that time referred to any kind of fabric that wasn't wool. So he was a fabric merchant, so he would have been working in hmm. that milling um, and production industry. And this area that they came from was a centre? Definitely, yes. So hundreds of mills and factories mm -hmm. working at that time. In fact, Bradford was one of the unhealthiest places to live hundreds of mills and factories creating stuff creating stuff and a lot of pollution yeah. as well um and so yeah so his father worked in that industry and lewis was actually the eldest of three boys mm. uh, and his younger brother called william harold um, also became a stuff merchant and quite successful and then his youngest brother was called alfred kenyon um I'm not sure if he did work in that industry, but um, you can imagine that in their early life they did before they moved away mm. to something else. Lewis Maynard's father was very successful. He was. So he had um, he had quite a long life, really, for someone of that age. He only passed away in 1907. And interestingly, we have access to his will um, or uh, in a final codicil that mm -hmm. he placed on that, which he did that in 1901. And usually at that time we would expect that a wealthy man like that would leave his eldest son as his trustee and executor. Mm -hmm. But um, Lewis's father did not do that. He put his second son in charge along with his nephew and he mentions Lewis specifically in the will and leaves it up to the discretion of the trustees as to whether they would, on the occasion of his death, um, give Lewis any of his inheritance or not. Which was a significant sum. Which was um, the income of £15,000 every mm. year. Um, so the father's estate was worth £98,000 or so pounds on his death. So that was quite a lot of money. In 1907. Sure. Yeah. Um, it so seems, we can only speculate as to why yeah. he arranged things the way he yeah, did. Yeah, there is some mention in the will of, you know, should Lewis do anything to fail to, it sort of reads like be a good person, mm. really, if you interpret it. So whether their relationship had broken down or whether he just hadn't heard from him or didn't know what had happened to him after he moved to Australia mm. because the rest of the Maynard family of that generation seem to have stayed in the UK mm. as far as I know um, at the home. moment. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that was Lewis. So he was there in the UK but obviously made the move like a lot of people did mm. to migrate to Australia and ended up near Bundaberg. Yes. Mm. 
Am married Muriel. Yep. Raised six children in yeah. Bundaberg and the district. Yes, and became the mayor. In, Twice. Yeah, 1912, and then also remained an alderman on the mm. council as yeah. well. Um, and he seems like he was really heavily involved in lots of other yeah, committees us, and groups. And tell things. us about that. Yeah, so he was um, involved in setting up what was called the Royal Society of St George. Now, I don't know a lot about that, but it seems like it was attached to the church of England. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also involved in the School of Arts Committee. There's lots of records in the newspaper of him attending meetings and saying different things. Uh, he was on the, uh, I think it was the Ambulance Committee. Perhaps there wasn't an ambulance at that time. He was a curator for the museum. Uh, and he was also very active once he'd finished his stint on the council as the mayor and as an alderman in writing letters to the paper about issues like um, sanitation and drainage and things mm-hmm. in the town as well. And yeah. you can find those on Trove also. So he seemed to be quite invested in mm. building Bundaberg as a you know strong and yeah. flourishing city. Now, yeah. both he and his father were early proponents of something which was unusual yes. at the time. So I thought this, this was interesting. So in his father's will, it mentioned specifically that he was a member of the Cremation Society, so he was a proponent of cremation rather than traditional burial. Mm. And uh, Lewis seems to have been equally mm. um, keen on cremation um, because that's what happened to him after yeah. he after he died as well. So whether that was a family interest or something, something they believed, they in believed strongly, strongly in, um, it seems to have been the case. So he did lose his first wife, Muriel, in 1915. So she passed away in January and it was difficult to track that. I expected to see that she would be in the Bundaberg General Cemetery, but she wasn't. And so when I had a look at her death certificate, she actually passed away in Brisbane after um, some weeks of illness. She had a cerebral mm. hemorrhage. She had been living there at the time with her yeah, son? with Joseph, her mm-hmm. son, and they were living at Orkinflower. And so she is actually or was actually um, buried in the Tawong um, Cemetery mm. and Joseph, is, um, her son, is buried there too mm. in the same in the same plot. So she passed away in the January. Interestingly, Lewis didn't have her cremated. No, maybe she had strong feelings in the other direction. Um, Yeah, she passed away in the January of 1915 and here comes the slightly unusual Mm -hmm. fact. By March of 1915, Lewis was married to his second wife, Alice Maud Lund. Alice Yes. So, strangely, she has the same name as his youngest daughter. Makes you think that she may have featured in his earlier life. Well, it just really does, even though we can't find any, you know, record to back that up. Doesn't mean we won't. Doesn't mean we won't. True. But it does seem so much of a coincidence, coincidence that mm. there, I just really want there to be something there. Anyway, we might... Just stop and then we will come back and tell you about Alice.
Right. I'm really interested to know all about Alice Maud Lund. Alice Maud Lund. Yes. So at first um, I just assumed that she was a single lady from Bundaberg who Lewis had married and that she would be easy to track down to find out more about her because what's unfortunate is in the newspaper reports of the murder-suicide, there's very little information about her apart from her age, whereas in some of the reports about um, him and the event, we get a lot of information about what he was involved with in the community and, you know, that he'd been the mayor, mm. et cetera, et cetera, but with Alice is like a blank slate. I don't almost. think they even use her Christian name and they've got her age wrong. They yeah. have got her age wrong, we have discovered. So the reason why she was a little bit difficult to track at first is that Alice Lund, uh, Lund was actually a marriage name. So, so she was also from Bradford in the UK, in Yorkshire, and she'd been born there. Uh, and She was a similar age to him. Yeah, she was born in 1863, give or take a year. Um, she was actually the youngest child of uh, Samuel Drake and Jane Ripley. So her maiden name was Drake, Alice Drake, Alice Maud Drake. And, yes, so she was the youngest of 11 children. Hmm. Samuel was a blacksmith. He would have had trouble he supporting would have been a family of 11. A lot of blacksmithing, mm-hmm. I imagine, to keep that family going. So she had five brothers and there were eight girls. Is that correct? That makes 13. There's only 11. Okay. I've written down that incorrectly. But the reason, the only reason I could find her as Alice Drake is that on her, the record of her death, her parents' names are listed mm-hmm. and that was that was the key to finding that. So she grew up in Bradford, as we can imagine Lewis Holden did um, before he moved to Australia. What did she do? She, by the age of 18, was working in the um, the milling and factory working. Mm-hmm. She was a worst, worsted weaver. So she was weaving fabric. Um, she, by 1887, was married for the first time to a man called Jonathan William Lund, John William Lund. And he was um, also working in Bradford. He'd been born in Bradford in the UK and he was working in the industry as well as a stuff merchant. Mm. So by 1901, they were living together in Bradford. They were married and they actually had a son named Ernest who was eight years old at that time. Uh, Sadly, he died the following year in 1902, age nine. So she didn't have the happiest of lives. And it does seem a little bit unusual for the time that they only had one child Mm. and that they were married in 1887 and their child wasn't born until 1893. So, yeah, that was a very small family Mm. for for that time in England. Uh, By 1911, she and her husband were living in um, Bradford still at a place called Wright House in Peel Park, which is a big park that had been set aside in in Bradford and actually named for Sir Robert Peel. Um, And he was still working at that time, uh, 
but sadly he died at the end of that year in the November and he was only age 50. So she had quite a bit of sadness mm-hmm. in her life up until that point. And suddenly found herself alone. alone. Yeah. And then her trail really, there's not much to find out mm-hmm. about her Goes until she yeah pops up as marrying Lewis Holden in Bundaberg in Queensland in March of 1915. So it's been difficult to find any record of her travelling to Australia. Obviously she did that. Um, and <clears throat> the newspaper report about um, the um, her death mentions that she goes back to England in 1926 and stays for about a year. Still yet to track that down as well. So... Um, from 1915 until 1928, though, she is listed on our electoral records as living in George Street with Lewis Holden Maynard, and he would have still had some children living at home, so his youngest two children mm-hmm. were um, still young when their mother died, uh, and um, but the rest of the family had moved mm. away to other places. And although he was active in all these committees and societies and things mm. in which we see in the newspapers, mm. we don't see any mention of her no. attending any of these events. No, I've searched for Alice Lund and I've searched for mm. Alice Maynard and the Alice Maynard that pops up most often in the newspaper is the daughter mm. who's the nurse rather than his wife attending yes. events. Now, yeah. just on young Alice Maud, mm. um, she has got a connection to Dr Thompson. Yes, that was interesting when that popped up. So in I think it was 1919, she must have just been um, training to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. And, and he had just arrived in Bundaberg. Yeah, and so there's an account of the meeting of the Bundaberg General Hospital Board where she's being accepted as a probationary nurse at the time, so just starting her mm. career um, and then working there. For a couple of years, and he was a he was a staff surgeon. Yes, at the general hospital. Mm. So everything crosses over. It does, and it was a pretty small pond at the time. Yes, just a few thousand people. Yeah, so here. so people would have known lots mm. of people. So yeah, so sadly, I think we know very little about um, Alice, the wife of John of, of Lewis mm. Holden. So. Um, that was one of the things that I found um, attracted me to wanting to find out more about this story in Bundaberg's history. Uh, and also the fact that, you know, history, the history of this event is all about Lewis Maynard. Mm. Um, and his name lives on in Bundaberg. You know, we have streets named after him. Mm-hmm. He's going to be remembered as a mayor. In, it, in terms of her history, his mm. names on other things, plaques and different things that are still around. Interestingly, it's been forgotten, though, that he murdered his wife. Yes, yeah, uh, which, um, I don't know, tells us something about how history is told and remembered, mm. perhaps, um, and also tells us something about how women perhaps are written in and out of our history in many ways. Especially in that era. Yeah, most definitely. So the sad thing about Alice also is um, that she was very much left alone. So after they, um, after their deaths, 
Oh, as we mentioned earlier, mm. Lewis was very specific that he wanted to be cremated. Yep. So how how did that happen at that time again? They... Well, there weren't facilities for that in Bundaberg and for Lewis's body to be cremated, it had to be transported to Sydney, mm. which obviously the family arranged for mm. and then brought back his ashes and you know what they did then. Well, you would think that they might bring them back to Bundaberg, but they actually um, buried him with his first wife, Muriel, in the Tawong mm. Cemetery, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. And Alice? Alice. What became of her? Alice is actually yeah buried in the Bundaberg General Cemetery, um, and you can search those records by going onto the Bundaberg Regional mm. Council site. So I did do that and went out to the cemetery and was a little bit saddened to find that she was buried in an unmarked grave. Mm. It's such a sad life, Wendy. Mm. She lost her child, mm. lost her, her first, first husband, husband, came to Australia. Mm. Seems to have lived an invisible life, life. Yep. and then was shot and buried in an unmarked grave yes. 12,000 miles from home. Yes, with no descendants mm. of any kind. So um, I think for me that's the part of the story that um, drew me to it was wanting to try and um, tell her story. her story, find mm. out something about her as a person, even if it is just where she was and where she is now mm. because I think she's really largely been forgotten um, and I think that is something that we need to also consider today that there's really some contemporary resonances for us with an event like this happening in Bundaberg, you know, almost a century ago, things like this are still happening today in terms of domestic violence and mm. crime and um, and it's all very easy to read it in the newspaper and, and forget about it, but people's lives are changed forever and families' lives are changed forever mm. around them. So, um, And it would seem that the more things change, the more, the they, more they stay, stay the, the same. same. So um, there's lots more actually to find out about this event and I have found the that trove has been essential mm. and um, Ancestry.com has been absolutely fascinating and also the state archives for Queensland have been invaluable as well. So there's always somewhere you can go. And interestingly too, you can find the burial registers for the Bundaberg for the Bundaberg region on the Bundaberg Regional Library site, which was really um, yeah, that's valuable as well. Yeah, so people could look on there if they're interested in finding out about anybody mm. at all. So that was another mm. 1928 tale, yeah. story from Coming Bundaberg. Coming right on the back of the tragedy of the 12 children. Yeah. Next podcast is going to be, be about a triumphant event. Mm. In also in 1928. Yep. So when we've got that one prepared, we'll get that one we'll to you. We'll get that to you and we can probably say that it will not be quite so sad. Won't be sad at all. It's going to be great. Thanks, Angela. Thanks, Wendy. See ya. Bye. Bye.